Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. I'm going to read our scripture today because I felt guilty asking anyone else to do it because there are a lot of hard-to-pronounce names. So uh, if you will join me, we're going to be um, in the last chapter of Ruth, uh, Ruth 4. Uh, We'll start with verse 9. And we'll see how they get pronounced. I don't know. TBD. So, okay. uh, Verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders, to the crowd standing around, you are witnesses that today I have brought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon. And with the land that I've acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son and carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. Then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, we are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Epaphrath and be famous in Bethlehem. May the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will like those of our ancestor Perez, son of Tamar and Judah. So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray real quick. So, Father, we uh, thank you for today. I pray that you'd be with us in these next few minutes as we uh, look at uh, Ruth and we look at her history and Naomi and her history and Boaz and his history. And I pray that that it would stir up something in us, um, that it would allow us to remember what's been in our lives and it will uh, fill us with faith and empower us as we move forward. Uh, we love you. I'm so grateful for this room, grateful for the people who uh, are in it, and I'm grateful that in our experience, you are uh, in the business of showing up here, and so we ask for that today. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, um, so we are finishing up the last chapter of Ruth, Ruth chapter 4. Um, we'll actually spend one more uh, week in the series of Ruth, in the sermon series, but we're finishing up on uh, the last chapter. And as I was reading for today and prepping for today, I kept thinking about how this uh, story of Ruth, especially the ending, um, reminded me of a story I heard like four or five years ago, I think I actually used it in a sermon four or five years ago. Um, but has anyone ever heard of a guy named Kyle McDonald? Anyone, a red, the red paperclip guy, has anyone heard this? 
Okay, maybe, maybe you heard it from me. <laughs> uh, here, but I want to tell you the story again because it's so good. He's a Canadian blogger, uh, and he went on to have a TED Talk, and he wrote a book um, about this crazy thing that he did with a paperclip. Um, Kyle McDonald, he was sitting uh, years ago, he was sitting at uh, what he called a dead-end job. He was super depressed, uh, kind of hating his life, and he's thinking about, like, how tough things are. He's not where he meant to be. And as he's doing it, he's like uh, flipping this red paperclip uh, in his fingers. And he has, um, as he's doing it, it's one of this, the, these moments where it's like, there's got to be more to life than what I'm currently living or, or more to working than what I'm currently doing. And so he gets this wild idea. Um, ha- has anyone ever played the game Bigger and Better? Did you go to youth group? Okay, it's like a youth group game where you trade things for something bigger or better than what you have. And he gets this idea uh, that he's going to do this. And so he makes this crazy goal, um, just, and he says, I'm going to trade this red paper clip for a house. That is my goal which is an absurd goal. Uh, but he makes it. He's like, I'm just going to keep trading, and I'm going to trade it for better and better things until I end up with a house. And so uh, he puts an ad on Craigslist, and he says, would anyone like to trade uh, this red paper clip for something else, just kind of to see what happens? And uh, he gets a reply from these two girls, uh, Ronnie and Karina. And Ronnie and Karina write to him, and they say, uh, we will trade your red paper clip for a pen, but not just any old pen. It is a wooden pen in the shape of a fish, so an awesome pin. So, so Kyle ends up with this awesome pin, and then he just keeps going, and he keeps listing, and he keeps trading up. And so he trades the fish pin to a woman named Annie who gives him a doorknob, and she said it's a weird-looking doorknob, but if you look at it from the right angle, it looks kind of like the face of E.T. And he's like, great. And so he, ta- he takes the doorknob, and then he, uh, he trades the doorknob to a guy named Stephen for a camping stove because Stephen needed the knob to replace the one on his camping kettle, and so he trades for a camping stove. And then crazy enough, uh, he finds, after Stephen's camping stove, he finds a man named Sergeant David who happened to be looking for that exact model of a camping stove. And so he trades the camping stove for a generator, which is bigger and better. Uh, And then the generator gets traded to a man named Martin uh, in New York City. So he moved out of Canada into New York City, uh, and Martin trades the the generator for an empty beer keg and a light-up Budweiser sign. And so bigger or better, you decide. Um, so Kyle then is like very confident in his training abilities. And so he starts to market it. And he, he says that he rebrands the Budweiser sign and keg and puts it on Craigslist as an instant party, which I think is, I can appreciate. I think that's hysterical. So he puts the instant party on. This famous, it goes back to Canada, this fam- famous DJ in Quebec wants the instant party. And he says, I will trade you the instant party for, and I am not kidding kidding you here, a snowmobile, (laughs) a snowmobile. And so he says, I'll give you my worst snowmobile, which means he has other snowmobiles, which I think is sort of a baller thing to say. But anyway, so the snowmobile then (laughs) leads to this crazy exchange with a man from Colorado who offers him two uh, round trip tickets for two to the Rocky Mountains. The two round trip tickets for two to the Rocky Mountains then gets traded for a van Um, which then gets traded for a recording contract, like a record contract. That's that's where he's at right now. Uh, And so he's like, I can't sing, but someone can sing. So he puts the record contract on uh, Craigslist to see what happens. And a woman named Jody from Phoenix, Arizona, messages him and says, I'll take the record contract and I'll exchange it for a free year of rent in my duplex, which is very close to a house. 
but not quite a house. And so he takes it. So he trades it. He has this free year of rent in the duplex. Well, one of the neighbors on the other side of the duplex says, oh, I want free free rent. And she says, I'll trade you that free rent for an afternoon with my boss. But her boss happens to be uh, the, um, sorry, her boss happens to be the rock sensation, Alice Cooper. Um, I don't know what word you would use to describe him. Sensation felt important to me. He's an odd bird. Um, <laughs> So, so she trades a year of rent for an afternoon with Alice Cooper. You decide bigger or better. Um, and then he gets, he gets a message from someone that says, I will trade the, the afternoon with Alice Cooper for a KISS snow globe. KISS is in the rock band snow globe. And, and Kyle takes it. And on the internet's all in on this. And the internet's like, you idiot, who trades Alice Cooper for a kiss snow globe? But what he knew is that there was a man who said, if there's any point you get a snow globe, holler at me, because I have the <laughs> largest collection of snow globes in the country. And this man happens to be named Corbin, and he happens to be a director of movies. And so Corbin <laughs> trades the kiss snow globe. He takes the kiss snow globe, and he trades it for a paid credited speaking movie role in his next movie. And so the paid credited speaking movie role then gets traded, I'm not kidding, for a house. A house on Main Street in a town called Kipling in Saskatchewan. In 14 trades, Kyle McDonald goes from a red paperclip to a house, a home that is his with the deed like signed to him, which is bananas, right? Are, some of y'all are going to try this when you get home, aren't you? Yes, yeah, I knew that. I knew that. <laughs> um, so they have this, like, big housewarming party. I, I, like, you need to watch the TED Talk so you can hear all about um, how really when, when uh, he got the house, a city called him and was like, we've got some co- a couple of extra houses, like, just sitting around. It's crazy. Anyway, okay. So at the, they have this housewarming party for Kyle and for his new house. And one of the uh, girls, that the, the original girls, Karina, that traded the paperclip for the fish pin, if you remember, she comes to the party and she wears the red paperclip around her neck, like in this little frame. Um, and people uh, and reporters, they're asking Kyle, they're like, I bet you wish you could get that red paperclip back now. You know, like it's famous. It might be worth more than your house that you have. Uh, it would be worth so much money. And Kyle's response back is really, really interesting. He says, it's not about the paperclip. It's not about having it or selling it for what it's worth. If I hadn't traded that red paperclip, I would just be a guy sitting there at his desk holding a paperclip in his hand, wondering what would happen if I actually did something with it. Like, I think this story is so cool and it's so exciting, but to me what stands out about it most is that sentence where he's saying, if I hadn't done something, if I hadn't uh, traded it, I would just be the guy sitting there at his desk holding a paperclip in his hands, wondering what would happen if I did something with it. And I don't know about you, but I've been that version of Kyle <laughs> plenty of times in my life. I've looked around and wondered or hoped that there, there had to be more than whatever I was living. There had to be something better than the job that I was doing. There had to be something more out there. Uh, it reminds me of a line from a, a poem that I love by a, um, my favorite poet. Her name is Mary Oliver. And she says this. She says, doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me what it is you plan to do with your one wild and precious life. 
Uh, I want to spend our morning together, our time together today, um, talking about spiritual legacy and spiritual lineage through the eyes of uh, the book of Ruth. Uh, and, and I want to talk about them in a way that I hope is really different than the world talks about uh, legacy and, and what we leave behind. Um, because I want to talk about how for, as Jesus people, what it looks like for us to take the paper clip that we've been giving and, or uh, the wild and precious life that we've been giving and, uh, given and stretch it and grow it into something else. Uh, not just for the good of ourselves, but for the sake of the world. I think that's one of the key differences between what the world calls legacy of like, make sure you have enough for you and your direct line. And I think the way uh, the Bible sees legacy is uh, to grow something for the good of the world, for the sake of others, for the good of other people. And so it feels like this last chapter of Ruth feels like a really wonderful place to have this conversation. We've kind of rounded up and, and Boaz has married Ruth and they've had this baby and Naomi gets her dream. She gets this dream of a grandson. Uh, and it's just, it's just this magical moment. And so, um, so while for the last uh, month we've been talking about the story of these three people, of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, um, all three of them in their own ways uh, traded up a paperclip, so to speak. They all uh, had moments in their stories when they turned what was given to them into something better, something wilder, something more precious. And then their story ends in chapter 4, singing the praise of uh, spiritual legacies and lineage. If you go to the verses right after the ones that we read that I chickened out on reading, um, <laughs> you can see at the very end, there, it starts a lineage. If you go to Matthew chapter 1, you can find the whole thing where you see where Ruth and Boaz are in the lineage of Jesus. Uh, you see the evidence of their legacy, like written out by name. Uh, there's a man named Daniel Taylor uh, who is a writer I appreciate, and he wrote a book called Spiritual Legacy. And he says this, he says, when he defines what a legacy is, he says, legacy is the fragrance of your life that remains when you yourself are no longer present. The fragrance of your life that remains when you yourself are no longer present. And in Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, the fragrance that remains thousands of years later is one of a generous mercy and a loyal love. It's a legacy of what we've uh, been calling hesed. That's the, we called it that because I swear for it. Um, hesed, uh, we talked a lot about this Hebrew word hesed. We've actually spent four weeks just trying to even define it because it's so big and it's so good and it's so hard to define. Uh, but has said it's uh, the loyal and generous actions of loving kindness. And these three folks, they have experienced that. The loving kindness, the loyal love of God in their lives. And the actions of love and mercy and protection and providence that, that they experienced from God and from each other. Uh, then led to these same kind of actions. The same uh, kind of actions in love and mercy and protection and providence for other people. For these three, Hesed love has led to Hesed love. Like a traded red paper clip, loving kindness has grown and grown in them and then continued on after them. It is uh, astounding to me that we, uh, we read this book as beneficiaries of their loving kindness uh, like six to 8,000 years after it happened. Like, uh, we'll say seven, <laughs> cut the middle. 7,000 years after it happens, we're still reading and talking about this legacy of loving kindness. We're still telling this story uh, because it is a story of spiritual lineage and a story of spiritual legacy. It's a 
story that uh, connects uh, so many stories uh, to the life of Hesed and to the rescue of Jesus. Which means as Jesus followers, the story of Ruth is a story that we're part of. It's part of our lineage. It's part of our uh, legacy. And I think in a way... um, in a way of spiritual practice, I think that it is a good thing to occasionally spend time on the stories of the past um, that have brought us and built us in the kingdom of God and pulled us into the future and have built our lives and our stories and, and our own uh, lineages. I, I think that is a really good thing to do. Uh, legacy and lineage, they're the way that life and lessons and blessings are preserved and shared beyond just a singular moment. So spiritually speaking, uh, legacy and lineage, uh, they're the results of a life lived uh, not just for the sake of ourselves, but for the glory and the goodness of something greater than ourselves. And because we're a product of this, because we're a product of spiritual lineage, it's good for us to look back at the stories and the people and the connections that we are a product of. Uh, it's good uh, because it allows us to connect to our past in a, in a really unique gratitude. And it allows us to continue to see the continued nature and character of God uh, shown to us through the lives of imperfect people. And then looking backward, uh, going back, it has the potential to grow our imagination as we look forward. Because the stories that build us uh, can grow our faith in the God who has always been working in our lives before we were even born. And, and looking back, it can grow our courage in the fact that since the beginning of time, he has, used, uh, he, he has used people to fill the earth with renewal and hope and rescue, like regular, ordinary people. That is who God has used to fill the world with his stories, the hope of Jesus, kingdom of God. Uh, the writer, uh, Ken Geyer, I think I have this slide, uh, Derek. Um, there's a writer named Ken Geyer, and um, he says that uh, looking back can act like a reminder um, of, of the hope that we have looking forward. This is how he says it. He says, God's purposes are not thwarted by our humanity, however weak and wayward it may be. He works in us and through us and more often in spite of us. That he works with us as a gardener works with his garden, lifting pruning, watering, weeding, whatever it takes to bring it to fruition, or however long it takes. This is our hope, that season after season, he walks the uncultivated field of each generation, his providential hands at work in the dark and cloddy soil, his careful eyes watching over the growth, watching over the budding faith of the young and over the branching influence of the old, we'll add cool, Uh, so so that something beautiful may blossom from our frail reach for the sky. Uh, Looking back at our spiritual lineage, it reminds us that while our paths are filled with all kinds of madness and destruction and hurt, God's purposes have not been thwarted by the humanity of people. Rather, it has continued for us and in us and through us and often in spite of us. That God, like a gardener, uh, his, his providential hand has been at work in our lives all of our days. His hesed love has been uh, blossoming something beautiful in us for the glory of his kingdom. Uh, Ruth, she was so deeply influenced by the faith and the life of Naomi and Elimelech uh, that her response when the worst of all worst things happened was a response of loyal and, loyalty and gratitude and love. 
And then that loyalty and love, it grew into Ruth and it turned into action because said love always turns into action. And so Ruth, she was so filled with loving kindness that she acted in loving kindness for the protection and provision of her mother-in-law's legacy and her mother-in-law's lineage. For Ruth, loving kindness led to loving kindness. And then Boaz, he's so moved by watching Ruth's loving kindness that it like swells up in him and leads him into action and into loving kindness. And then together, uh, out of uh, their genetic pool, the spiritual lineage of courage and faith and love and mercy comes a, a boy named Obed. And then from Obed uh, comes Jesse, who then has seven sons, the youngest of which is King David, whose family line traces directly to Jesus. Again, Matthew 1. It's worth a read this week. The hesed, the loving kindness and the courage and the faith and the valor that were deposited into and out of Ruth ends up in the genetic line of Jesus. Not by accident, but by providence. And that's so inspiring to me uh, in a way that makes me feel like wanting to do more with my life and also makes me feel wistful and uh, nostalgic. Like I can't help but look back on my own life and trace my own lines into my own story. And there are a lot of them. Uh, Here's one. In the late 1970s, before I was born, this feels more important for me to say right now because I'm I'm turning 40 in July. And so it's like this looming day. It's going to be fine, right? That was, uh, seriously? No one thinks it's going to be fine? <laughs> okay, well, all right. <laughs> the panic. I panicked twice on the stage in two weeks. Um, okay, in the 1970s, before I was born, late 1970s, um, a man named Lee Scruggs was a college student. And uh, he became a young life leader, and he showed up at Bearden High School uh, where he was a young life leader. And he led a small group Bible study that Young Life calls campaigners. Uh, and he invited a high school kid named Tim to come and learn more about what it meant to follow Jesus and to give his life away. And through a lot of things, but one of them was what he learned in that campaigner's Bible study, uh, Tim goes on um, to uh, become a teacher and a Young Life leader at West High School in Knoxville where he meets a kid named Ruthie. Ruthie's in his class, and Ruthie starts coming to Young Life where she learns uh, more about what it looks like to follow Jesus and to give her life away, which leads Ruthie uh, in college to become a Young Life leader at Farragut High School, uh, where she uh, runs into a track star named Sarah Yeager. Sarah's not here today, but gosh, she would love that reference. Um, where she runs into a track star named Sarah Yeager, and Ruthie invites Sarah to come to this campaigner's Bible study and learn more about what it means to follow Jesus and uh, what it means to give your life away. And then after going out of state for college, Sarah Yeager moves back to town and becomes Sarah Stokes. And then she goes on Young Life staff in Maryville, Tennessee. And when I was a sophomore in high school, uh, Sarah Yeager came to see a play I was in. Uh, She wasn't even a Young Life leader at my school. She just came because I was in it. Uh, I wasn't even the star of the play. I've talked about this play many times on here. I had one line and I played a pretend trumpet. And it was 30 seconds of glory. People are still talking about it, me. (laughs) I'm the people. (laughs) But she showed up, and she stayed till the end, (laughs) after just 30 seconds of it. And then on Tuesday morning, she showed up with me and with my friends for a campaigner's Bible study where we learned what it looked like to follow Jesus and give our lives away. And then after college, I became a Young Life Leader at Maryville High School with Sarah Stokes, my Young Life Leader. 
And uh, we met some people like Katie Murren and Hannah Campbell and Mackenzie Sharp, who all go here, and they're friends. And those three girls ended up becoming Young Life leaders, where they led Bible studies, where they taught people more about Jesus and how to give their lives away. And so as I spent time reflecting this week on this lineage that I come from uh, and this legacy that I, that I want to leave behind, like that's just one line in lineage. But I, it was just this overwhelming sense that my, my faith has been built on the shoulders of so many people, uh, many of whom are usually in this room, none of whom are today, but to my dad, he's here. <laughs> but they're all connected, like these stories uh, connected to the God whose nature is the same for me today as it was for Boaz and for Ruth and Naomi, uh, that I was, I was just like so overwhelmed that, that, that God is still in the business of chasing after his people with loving kindness. And that loving kindness still leads to loving kindness and he uses ordinary people to fill the world with it. Uh, 2 Corinthians says that God stores his treasures of his kingdom in clay pots. That's us. Uh, Thomas Merton changes the line. He says, in mud piles like us. Mud piles like Lee Scruggs and Tim Teague and Ruthie Evers and Sarah Stokes and me. Mud piles, clay pots like you and the people who have been part of your lives. The people who have been part of your stories. The people who have been part of your hope and your quest for glory and, and your view of the kingdom and the renewal of, of your life and your situation and your neighborhoods and world. Because you have a lineage map just like me. Faces and story and pe- stories and people who have shown you what it looks like to follow Jesus and to give your life away. You've had grandmothers and Sunday school teachers and neighbors and mentors and friends and coworkers and writers you love and musicians that speak to you. Uh, so many kinds of clay pots have, have influenced your life. You have spiritual mothers and fathers that have taught you and prayed for you and um, prayed hope for you and healing for you and helped you learn how to walk with Jesus, whether you realize they were doing it or not. I wish, legitimately, I wish we had time. I wanted, I was trying to think through this thing where it's like, I would like connect a string and we would end up all connecting strings of how our stories all connect, but I couldn't figure out, I'm not, I have no logistics in me, so I couldn't figure out how to do it. It's like, because I just want to know your stories. I want to hear all of these things because it is a good thing for us to look back on our lives in gratitude. Because looking back uh, has the ability to grow us in gratitude for sure, but it also has the ability to grow our courage and our faith as we look forward. Because lineage is meant to lead to legacy. Looking back is meant to lead us forward, to be people with intention around how we show up in the world, to uh, continue the stories into new seasons, to believe that we have been made on purpose for purpose in the kingdom of God, to be people who pray for others, and hope for others, and teach others, and who make much of Jesus in our lives for the sake of others. There's something that happens in us, I think, when we make space to remember and to dream. It, in this unique way, can uh, tell the stories to our own hearts and to the world of the God who loves us, who is on our side, who has always been coming after us, and who has said love is relentless. 